Good afternoon. It is one o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Beautiful sunny skies, just a few clouds here and there. It is 23 degrees, 25 with the humidity. For the first time since early February, a completely dry weekend is in the forecast for London. 980 CFPL weather specialist John Wilson says it's the first weekend in months where there is no chance of precipitation. However, rain is back in the forecast on Monday. Meantime, farmers in the London region are certainly welcoming the short break from the wet weather. And it will be a busy weekend as they look to make up for lost time. Unseasonably cold temperatures and significant rainfall this spring have left many behind schedule. As 980 CFPL's Jake Jeffrey reports, some haven't even started planting yet. The life of a farmer can be challenging at the best of time, not to mention risky. It takes planning, preparation, and some business savvy to make for a successful planting season. But when it comes down to it, they're at the mercy of Mother Nature, and Mother Nature has not been particularly kind, which has caused significant delays for farmers looking to get their crops in the ground. Army Canada meteorologist Peter Kimbell says April and May saw 35% more rain than what we're used to in the London area. 110 millimeters in April, 115 in May. And so far, we're all close to 20 millimeters already in, in June. Uh, so it, it hasn't really stopped. And uh, it's been cool, as everyone knows. Marcus Harley from the Grain Farmers of Ontario tells the CFPL that it's been a once-in-a-century planting season. Some of the conditions are still not perfect. Are they going to get perfect? Maybe. But there's a big chance they won't because some of that soil is just so saturated uh, that it needs so much time to dry out. The farmers that I talk to, they've never experienced anything like this. Even with a stretch of dry weather this weekend, Harley doesn't think it'll be enough to salvage the planting season. He says at this point, farmers will need to get lucky and hope the warm summer weather continues well into September. Jake Jeffrey, 90 CFPL. London's newest deputy police chief has been named. The London Police Services Board announced this morning that Superintendent Stuart Betts of the York Regional Police Service will take over the role as of July 15th. Betts began his policing career with York Regional Police in 1997 and since then has served in a number of different departments, including uniform patrol, criminal investigations, and executive services. Most recently, he served as a commander in charge of policing in the city of Vaughan. Betts' appointment comes two days after Deputy Chief Steve Williams was named as London's next chief when John Perry retires at the end of the month. Acting Inspector Trish McIntyre has also been named a new deputy chief, taking over the role from Deputy Chief Daryl Longworth, who's about to become the new chief of Woodstock Police. Canada's unemployment rate has dropped to its lowest level since tracking began in 1976. Statistics Canada puts the jobless rate at 5.4 percent, down from 5.7 in April. It says the economy added another 27,700 jobs last month, building on the record 106,500 jobs created in April. CIBC senior economist Royce Mendez says it's another big round of job creation, but the details weren't immaculate. If you look at where the job creation was focused, yes, it was focused in full time, which is um, solid for the Canadian economy, but it was also attributed to self-employment, which tends to be more precarious. The London St. Thomas unemployment rate ticked up to 5% from 4.8 in April. Provincial Liberals will meet this weekend and decide how they'll pick a new leader, a key step as the party tries to rebuild from last year's historic defeat. The annual general meeting starts one year to the day that the Liberals were reduced from a majority government to a mere seven seats in the June 7th election. Party President Brian John says that's no accident and the party is, quote, ready to turn a page on the past. 
three people have already thrown their hats in the leadership ring, with former Cabinet Minister Stephen Del Duca the first to formally announce his campaign. You're listening to 980 CFPL. The rich are officially getting richer. Uh, those rich getting richer. You know how you can find out? Uber is pushing things a little further. Starting Sunday in the San Francisco area, they have, well, Uber Comfort also happening right now in New York. And I'll get to what Uber Comfort is. Happening right now in New York, you have Uber Copter. That means that if you need to get somewhere, you can actually order a copter and it will give you a ride from Lower Manhattan to JFK or JFK to Lower Manhattan. I'm not sure where you're landing in Lower Manhattan. $200 at least per passenger. Now, traffic is terrible in New York. If you have to go from one place to another in a car, you know, you talk to people who live there. They will very rarely have an uncomfortable car. So little tiny ones doesn't exist. Your commutes are so long that you have to have a car with almost like a bench seat. You want to make sure that you upgrade your seat because you'll be sitting in it for hours a day. Uber copter. And then, like we said, in the Bay Area in San Francisco, don't know whether any of the Raptors are doing this. They have Uber Comfort, which is debuting. Just in case you are tired of, oh, somebody else's back seat, usually it's very clean. Very clean. But if if you don't feel you have the leg room, then you can order Uber Comfort, which will offer you a conversation-free ride. I like the conversation. If I'm in a taxi, if I'm in an Uber... I like chit-chat, the things that I learn. You have to be able to talk to people. Who is as snobby as to want a conversation-free ride and apparently more leg room, so I guess your vehicle has to meet certain standards. It'll cost 25 to 35% more. Give me a break, rich getting richer. Stop acting like that. Okay, we have Jurassic Park. It is all set for tonight. Looks like it's not a rain or shine kind of thing. It's looking pretty shiny out there. 25 degrees. We have other Jurassic Parks that are popping up. Tonight is game four between the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. And Raptor fans can barely contain themselves. The Raptors are up two games to one. Kevin Durant is still not playing in game four. Doesn't look like he'll play in game five. And Raptors fans are already doing the math. Uh, Let me take off my shoe here. If we win tonight, then that means... Raptors are leading 3-1. They'll come home, win game five. They'll be NBA champions. So that would avoid Kevin Durant altogether. But we have Jurassic Parks popping up all over the place. If you're having one in your backyard and you would like to publicize it, I'm willing to do it. It just needs a cool name. See, get this. Burlington is starting up a Jurassic Park tonight. There is one in St. Thomas as well that's on Moore Street. But Burlington is calling theirs Burlassic Park. I like that. We don't have that yet in London. We need a good name. What about Lorassic Park? I don't like that. That sounds like a medical procedure. I have this pain in my lower back. I saw the doctor. He says I need a Lorassic Park. See, no, that's not going to work. Londonic Park? Mm, 
Don't we already have a Londonic Park somewhere? I don't think that will work. Londonasic Park? That's too much, isn't it? Way too much. Forest City Park? That's getting away from it entirely. Help me out. What should we be calling our Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park Southwest? Could we do that? You know how angry people who are also in the Southwest would get? Kitchener would step in, wouldn't they? Kitchener. They'd come in and say, we're the real Southwest Jurassic Park. We're closer to being Southwest than London. We're, we're closer to Toronto. So what should we call it? If you have any ideas, email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. That's Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Because I can't come up with a single thing. What I can do is promise some hopefully interesting conversations. When was the last time you had a vacation? A good one. Real good one. Well, we're going to speak with Erica Pearson. Erica is an entrepreneur, and she's come up with one of those things that you wouldn't think would ever be a company. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about all the jobs that don't exist now, that will exist. If you go back about a decade, Australia, I think, was the first one to say, yeah, we're losing about a half million jobs in the next 10 years. But it's not a bad thing. Because we're going to create one million jobs. Oh, really? What are you going to create them in? We don't know. We have no idea. They're just going to pop up. And that's really started happening. So what Erica does, and we're going to talk with her in about a half hour, Erica is with Vacation Fund. She's actually a co-founder and CEO. What does Vacation Fund do? It helps employers help employees to take vacation. Huh? Don't they work that out themselves? Don't you can you contact your boss and and you say, you know what? I'd like to take a vacation from this day to this day. And your boss will either say, yeah, we can manage that. Or, you know what? Could we change the dates just a little bit? Could we tweak it a bit? Could you start Tuesday on the vacation and come back Thursday? Huh? So in this case, helping employers to help employees to take vacation. I'm curious, aren't you? We'll find out more about that in a half hour. Uh, we have something brand new starting this weekend on 980 CFPL. We'll talk about that. We are also going to look at a bill that is right now before the House of Commons. And this is something that could be very helpful in cutting down medical costs of the future. So if we're looking at things like diabetes and type 2 diabetes, what do we know about type 2 diabetes? Exploding. Are we expecting that to stop? Absolutely not. One of the reasons, kids don't eat right. Not even close. Lots of sugary crap, lots of saturated fat, and some of that, if you dig into it, and I'm not trying to sound like one of those people, but some of that, if you dig into it, is the marketing toward kids. Because the saturated fat stuff and the sugary stuff, that gets marketed directly at kids. And these marketers are good. And you know what? Advertising works. And so we have kids eating unhealthy because they bug their parents and the parents go, oh, whatever, you know, one box of this won't hurt. And then you find yourself just buying it week after. Well, bought it last week. Look, it's even cheaper this week. It's on sale. Fantastic. Stick that in the cart. Well, we're going to talk with the Heart and Strokes Director of Policy, Advocacy and Engagement about right now a bill that was created in the Senate Three years ago. And this is a thing that you could easily give a thumbs up to. You just look and go, yeah, should we do this? Yeah, okay. Click, click. And it would be all done. It made it 
through the first stage of how a bill becomes legislation in Canada, but it's kind of stalled. It's second reading. And with that, it is in danger of stalling entirely because we've right now got a bit of a time crunch. Look at what happened yesterday. What did the Ontario legislature do? Can you smell that? Summer. I smell summer. Why don't we start summer right now? And you know what? We'll extend it beyond the federal election. It'll be great. That's exactly what they did. Great idea? Probably not, but it's what they're doing. So what's the House of Commons going to do? Well, in as much as another few weeks, couple weeks, maybe a month, toward the end of June they usually do this. Hi-ho! Summertime! See you later! That's what they're going to do. And if this thing is not passed, then when we come back, we are on the election trail. And from there, we may have a new government, and this thing could die. And it actually is pretty unique. So we're going to investigate that in about an hour from now. Lots still to come. Thank you for the emails so far on what we can call our Jurassic Park. Let me get to a couple of these before we go to break. Uh, Dundasic Park. That's it. That's good stuff. Dundasic Park. Uh Alan says, uh, oh, he's on Uber. He says, can we start offering a class called Uber Gratitude? I'm getting Uber tired of hearing people insisting on simply the best, Uber comfort. Can we say Uber first world problems? People need to get Uber grounded. Al, that's incredible. Let's take a break. You know how funding has been cut to a lot of different things? Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to the executive director of one of those things. How do you... Do more with less. It's a question that so many businesses, so many corporations have had to deal with. We are now looking at it at a spot where it is affecting people at a real ground stage. And that gets tough when we're looking at the potential of hurting services, hurting individuals who can't be hurt really any more than they already have, hurting people who are trying to get ahead in life. What does that do? How do you do more with less when you haven't been working with a whole lot in the first place? We'll deal with that when we return. Friday edition of London Live. Beautiful sunshine. Raptors tonight at Dundasic Park. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Doing more with less. We're all asked to do it. This is not the Uber world of Uber comfort and Uber copter. We're all trying to figure out how to do more with less. You have to when you go to the grocery store these days. The costs, they're up. So when you're dealing with an organization whose aim it is to help people, and we've got a lot of different organizations whose aim it is to help people, how do you do that when you look at what the talk is from the provincial government, when you look at grant money that might not be there? Steve Cordes is the executive director of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and we're lucky enough to have him with us right now. Steve, when you look at the landscape and how it sits for organizations that do rely a lot on government funding, what do you see? Well, you know, there's a lot of change, and change at almost at so many levels uh, with the uh, funding coming from the province in particular, and also then changes within our community, levels of poverty, homelessness, and so on. So when there there have been some cuts uh, from our provincial uh, funder, which is the Ministry of Training, Colleges and Universities, um, and that puts some additional strain, not just on the services that are available to people come in the door, 
Uh, there's been a modest impact on that. Uh, but more importantly, uh, the capacity of the organization uh, and others that have also been uh, reduced to reach out to folks that are right now in our, in our city not even looking for work yet. Uh, those folks that are fundamentally able to work, fundamentally should be part of the job market, but haven't had that hope, haven't had that sense of drive, haven't had that sense of what's out there for me to even start responding to job ads and so on, understand what the job market's all about. So with all that change, it creates a lot of uncertainty. What's the service model that's going to be available down the road? Uh, and how can we most effectively make sure it could, that capacity to respond to those needs stays strong? Steve, how big a challenge do you face in trying to reach individuals who you just described? Well, um, because YOU's uh, uh, menu of services is just so broad and so deep uh, with housing support programs, street outreach programs, we have a, um, a presence uh, even in, in schools and with our education partners and so on, uh, we'll often reach out uh, to folks because of our capacity to help them out with housing. Uh, but as we're helping them out with housing and, and dealing with some of the poverty and income support issues that they've got right now, also start talking about employment, education, training. But if we started off down that road, hey, come on in, we'll help you look for work, so many of them would respond by saying, you know what, no one will hire me. I don't have grade 12 or no one will hire me. I've never been able to get a job before. I just need a place to live. And the capacity becomes so vital to be able to respond to, I need a place to live, and let's help you out with that, of course. And hey, you know what, let's also start thinking about what's the right job for you? How can we help provide you uh, the resources and the support to land that job? And how can we also help you then keep that job once you have a job? It becomes so integrated. But if we don't have the capacity to continue to reach out, it becomes harder even to let those folks know that there are employment opportunities out there and that, in fact, they can be great candidates for those jobs. And I suppose that's where the funding comes in and the importance of that funding comes in. We're talking with Steve Cordes, who is the executive director of Youth Opportunities Unlimited. When you look at, at funding, does all of it come from that particular ministry or, or does it come from other places? And, and is that being affected as well? Um, that's a really good question. A lot of these programs are so uh, interdependent on each other. Uh, in the case of Youth Opportunities Unlimited, for example, uh, no, um, all of our funding does not come from that ministry. Uh, the province of Ontario is a significant funder, uh, but along with that, um, other levels of government, as well as uh, earned revenues, as well as, um, uh, as well as social enterprise earnings through our cafes and so on. So uh, the impact is, uh, is hard, uh, but uh, not insurmountable. Um, I think what's what's most uh, challenging uh, is, uh, particularly for YOU, we focus on how can we keep our capacity at its very highest level, uh, knowing that uh, a reduction in funding, of course, uh, impacts capacity. So how can we ensure that we still have the resources that are there to respond to the numbers of young people that are coming in our doors, uh, looking for work, and uh, trying to ensure that, um, that we really uh, minimize the impact that... Uh, young people walking in our offices would feel. Uh, it does affect our level of ability to go out and take on other projects or to go out in, a, um, in an outreach capacity. Um, 
if I could uh, zero in on a key issue, for example, Mike, in the uh, London area, uh, London has among the highest levels of NEAT youth, uh, certainly in Ontario, and one of the highest in the country. And NEAT, uh, it's an acronym, so they're not in employment, education, or training. So these are young people that, for the most part, uh, are not engaged in the job market, uh, but are great candidates to be engaged in the job market. So for them, we want them to know that when they walk in those doors uh, at YOU, even in this environment, they're still going to feel that there's a responsive set of skills and people there for them, and there's resources and programs to help them get attached to the job market. Even in the environment where there's fewer resources, we still want to be able to respond to that. Where we're going to be less able to is to reach out and find those folks, because if they don't know we're there, they don't want to walk in the doors. Uh, and London's unemployment rate is low, but it's low because there's still a lot of people that don't consider themselves part of the job market. And when you factor those in, our unemployment rate is much higher than the 5% or so that, that we know it to be. Well, and that is something that, that we hear from so many different organizations, the idea that the numbers look actually pretty good, but when you factor in people who, like you say, are not even on the radar, it can change things. So how do you then make changes at an organization like YOU to do more with less, if that's what ultimately you'll have to do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that is what we have to do. So um, we've actually uh, reduced our staffing slightly. So we've um, uh, we've uh, um, lost three staff. Uh, and, uh, and so we've reorganized some of our programs uh, to be able to accommodate people more on a group basis. Uh, and uh, and also recognizing that for the folks that walk in our door, knowing that neat population, knowing that when the unemployment rate is lower, the people that are coming in, it's not that they don't want to work. They don't necessarily have any experience. So a resume and a job search um, program and so on, it's a step along the way, but they're going to need more support than that. So we ensure that uh, we can count on our staff, uh, to help young people, even really, if it if it means hopping on a bus with them periodically and going to a job interview, not to sit in on the job interview, but to be that conduit to help them overcome their fears, prepare, feel like they've got an advocate on their side that's going to help them because it still comes down to on a case by case basis, how can you help each individual put that get that foothold in the job market and then also stay there because while they're learning what the job is all about. They get afraid of making mistakes. They get afraid of, you know, directions and things happening that they don't understand. Uh, and we want to ensure that we're helping ease them into that very, very new and sometimes scary but also exciting experience. And that takes uh, a lot of uh, a lot of resources. So you try to do more with less by uh, um, really being efficient on your time with people uh, and uh, still offering that that one-on-one experience. Because if you can't do that you're really not going to be able to help them. Steve, are you concerned at all for the future? Um, I'm concerned that uh, I want uh, the government, I want uh, people, uh, even uh, your listeners and the public, uh, to understand uh, the very unique situation some of these folks are in, uh, so that all together, when we're deciding in a very tough fiscal environment, where do we put our money, that we understand the priorities around, around these investments, uh, and that uh, um, pulling money out of a program like this isn't necessarily 
um, saving us any money because uh, these folks, it costs a lot of money not to have people in the job market. Opportunities that sit vacant, businesses tell us uh, that, you know, they have jobs open and they're looking for people to fill them. Our job is to put those businesses in touch with people that can take up on that opportunity, but to prepare them for it so that they're successful. So I am um, concerned that uh, uh, that we fully understand uh, when we're pulling money out of a system, that we fully understand the impact it will have and whether it actually will save dollars or not. Maybe time will have to tell, but uh, it's, a, it's a risky social experiment. I, I wish that we had more opportunity to have a really full dialogue on this stuff. Well, Steve, thank you so much for having this dialogue with us. Much appreciated. Thanks, Mike. Steve Cordes, Executive Director of YOU, Youth Opportunities Unlimited. So that's the landscape that they are dealing with right now. We're looking at Ontario Premier Doug Ford marking one year since the election. It isn't so much about what's happened in the past year. really is, okay, what's coming next? Because there are a lot of unanswered questions that way. Let's take a break for news. And then a company that helps employers help employees Take vacations? We'll find out more. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Good afternoon. It is 1.30. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. We have a mix of sun and cloud, 23 degrees. A welcome break from the gray and wet weather we've been receiving all spring. There's nothing but sunshine in the forecast all weekend long, with daytime highs in the mid to high 20s. 980 CFBL weather specialist John Wilson says we are long overdue for a dry stretch of weather. Do you realize how long it's been since we've had a completely dry weekend, precipitation-free, not even a trace? Well, I went back and I found out, and you know what? We have to go back to early February to get one of those. Every other weekend's had at least a trace, and most of them considerably measurable rain in them. Enjoy the weather while you can, because the rain will return Monday. The high will be 23, but it will be accompanied by showers. In the span of a week, the city's police service has announced its new lineup of top brass. The latest news was made public this morning, with the London Police Services Board announcing Stuart Betts has been appointed as the department's newest deputy chief. Betts is currently superintendent of the York Regional Police Service and will take over his new role in London as of July 15th. He joins acting inspector Trish McIntyre in the position. Her appointment was announced Monday. Betts began his policing career in 1997 with York Regional Police and has been with them since. Most recently, he served as commander in charge of policing in the city of Vaughan. Betts has a Bachelor of Arts degree from York University, as well as a Master's of Business Administration degree with a specialty in innovation leadership from the University of Fredericton. On Wednesday, Deputy Chief Steve Williams was named London's next chief when John Perry retires later this month. There wasn't great news on the local jobs front last month. As Stats Canada reports the London St. Thomas unemployment rate inched up a bit to 5%. Officials say that's up from 4.8% in April. Nationally, Statistics Canada put the jobless rate of 5.4% down from 57 in April. That's its lowest level since tracking began in 1976. It's been exactly one year since Premier Doug Ford and his progressive conservatives were elected in Ontario. The Premier will mark the anniversary of his victory with an appearance in Toronto this afternoon. He's set to share what his office calls the highlights of key government achievements over the past year. You're listening to 980 CFPL. When was the last time you were on a good vacation? You might be able to say, when was last week? Look at my tan. 
Or you might say, I don't know, we just can't get it together and it's a big hassle and it's it can be expensive and it's hard to say, yeah, we'd put away that much money and it's it's not easy. No, it's not. It isn't. But there is a little something that we uncovered this week that's been around since 2017, shows our detective services here at London Live need to dig a little deeper. It's been around for a while, but you know what? It has had a big impact on a lot of employees. So we thought, we've got to find out more about this. It is something called Vacation Fund. It's a Toronto-based company, so it's a Canadian company. And what it does is it assists employers in Canada and even in the United States in helping their employees take vacation. So what if your employer was helping you to take a vacation? This is not just a one-week, don't come to work because you're owed some vacation days. This is an actual vacation. Joining us right now is a very shrewd entrepreneur and the co-founder and CEO of Vacation Fund, Erica Pearson. Erica, great to have you with us on London Live. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So let's rewind some time here because you had a vision and it has morphed into something that is in the same field, but it's it's a little bit different based on what you saw people in need of. What was your first vision for Vacation Fund? So it's funny because I was in the finance industry. I started to explore the tech base, new new technical solutions for various problems out there in the world. And I saw some people joining bucket list platforms. There are a few out there. There's Bucket Dream, Bucket Listy. And I thought, okay, this is wonderful. People are setting and accomplishing travel goals. Amazing. But one of the trips that we had never gone on, partially because it was such an expensive trip, uh, was a safari. And that was on everyone's bucket list. And so I said, okay, well, I need to help people save for their travel goals or they'll never get there. So I literally, I took a user experience design course to build out the first clickable prototype of what I thought Vacation Fund would become. And it's hilarious to still look back on because the travel goals looked like little Pokemon cards. (laughs) And I was just helping people save for these very specific things. But then I started asking people, I said, okay, is this actually solving a problem? What prevents you from going on vacation? And 50% of people said, I don't have the budget. And the other 50% said, I'm hesitant to ask for time off. I'm trying to show that I'm not entitled. I'm trying to show that I'm committed to my team. I don't want to leave my workload on other people or I have too many projects on the go. And then around that time, I was pitching to the tech community in Toronto, especially just to get as much constructive criticism as I could in the early days because I knew it would evolve. And people said, we're having trouble getting our employees to use their vacation days. What if what if we help them save for this thing? So I said, okay. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe this is a matching program. Maybe companies help people save for their travel goals and actually make them go away. So, Isn't that wild? And so what did you find in the early going after uncovering those details? Yeah, I, I think so from the users themselves, we found that they said, okay, well, maybe if my boss is putting money towards this trip, then maybe they're serious about needing me to take some time off. But the really interesting thing for me from an employer perspective, from both the executives at these companies and HR managers, was 
what is the pain point that this is addressing? And it's funny because I talk to people about this all the time, and there seems to be a different angle for almost every company that we've onboarded so far. Some wanted to use this as a bragging right to attract millennials. Some said we have accumulating liability on our balance sheet of unused vacation days. Some said people are not taking their vacations. We need to offer them a vacation fund match that expires so that they know they're losing out on free money if they do not use their vacation days. So that has just been like it's been wild from a sales discovery perspective because we're trying to figure out all the pain points that we're addressing and the pain points change depending on the company. We're talking with Erica Pearson, co-founder and CEO of Vacation Fund. So you basically right now help employers, help employees to take vacations while helping employees to take vacations. But you strictly go kind of through the employers then as a starting point? Exactly, exactly. We've had obviously a lot of employees reach out saying, oh, my company should offer this. But really, the companies that have successfully implemented it and said, yes, of course, we support this is the companies where I've talked to both their HR manager or people in operations manager and people in the C-suite executive position. Like this is really like this. This is the kind of message that in order to work for employees and actually allocate budget towards people's vacations, it really needs to come from the top. Erica, you mentioned some of the different ways that it works. Let's go over those for just a minute. You mentioned attracting millennials. So how would a setup work in that way? Yeah, well, so the program itself, so typically our clients are doing a 50% match on people's contribution into their vacation fund, capped at anywhere between $10 and $100 per paycheck, right? So employees, if they're earning up to $10 a paycheck towards their vacation fund from their employer, then they're earning about $240 a year from the employer towards their vacation. So typically it's a 50% match capped at a certain dollar amount per paycheck. And I would say about 50% of our clients have the company match actually expire to force people to use that time off. Now, the companies that like to use this just as a bragging right are then putting vacation fund on their job applications. Or when people come in for an interview, they're like, we believe in your time outside of the office so much so that we're willing to allocate budget towards it. So it just becomes a conversation piece saying, We believe in this as a company value that people should actually have some sort of life or priorities outside of work, enough so that we put money towards your travel goals. Now, what I think is really important for us to do as a company at some point is go around filming people's reactions when we've told them that the company is putting money towards their bucket list trips because people's reactions are priceless. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did a survey at one point that we surveyed employees across North America and full-time employees working for a company. And we said, if you were about ready, you were fed up with your job, you were about to leave, but you knew that you were earning up to $500 over the course of the next year towards your next vacation, how much longer would you consider staying with the company specifically to take advantage of that benefit? And 25% of people said they would stay an extra 12 plus months. 25% said an extra six months. And this is just for $500 towards a vacation, right? Like that is, those are powerful statistics for retention. Definitely. And in the end, what do you feel the company is getting out of it? Other than in what you're just describing, the ability to attract very good people to what it is that they want to do. But what else do you feel they get out of it? 
Yeah. So we've, we've thought through this in terms of like a positioning and sales perspective a lot because we're trying to create mutually beneficial relationships, right? Like this only becomes a thing. This only becomes a must have as more and more companies start to do it. And they say, oh, this is proving to have very good results. Right now, we operate based on how much can we help increase a company's retention and average employee tenure by encouraging their employees to actually use their vacation days and take time off. So there are a few different angles about how do companies sort of advantage from implementing a program like this. Right now, we're mostly focusing on the retention piece. And in order for us to prove that, generally, it's the companies that do actually want to increase the number of vacation days that people are using, whether it's to reduce a balance sheet liability or not, is not nearly as relevant. But it primarily is these companies have ambitious people, and they want to keep these ambitious people as recharged and motivated as possible. And so one person actually ended up referring to Vacation Fund as a regularly scheduled oil change for your employees' minds. And I think that really plays off when the World Health Organization starts talking about what a problem burnout is. This really is a solution to keep employees at their best in the companies where people are generally ambitious. People are working hard. They're trying to prove themselves. Their motivations are aligned with the company's motivations. And these companies are trying to show, okay, just remember that you also need to take time off for yourselves if you want to be the best employee you possibly can be for the company. Erica Pearson joining us, co-founder and CEO of Vacation Fund. Erica, we were just talking about that the other day and the fact that Ontario, I don't have stats on this, but in traveling around a little bit, Ontario is not very good at that work-play balance. I mean, if we're supposed to be about 50-50 and Alberta seems to be one of those places that really does a good job of that, we're probably 90-10 work to play in that we, we don't really take that time and that we do experience that burnout. And you highlighted a couple of things that people will feel, oh, I don't want to take my vacation because I don't want to let my company down or I want to show what it is that I can do. And that just seems to be this attitude in Ontario. Are you finding a shift in the way that either employees are feeling or employers are feeling? Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's an ongoing conversation. And I try to keep myself very well educated on the topic of rest and how the hours that you spend not focusing on work actually contribute to your ability to perform better when you're at work. It's an ongoing conversation. Like I think people are really paying attention to the fact that burnout is a problem and people are connected at all times. And I think one of the bigger pieces of that that's especially relevant for us is the number of people that are checking emails on a daily basis while they're on vacation and responding to those emails while they're on vacation. And there's a certain amount of guilt attributed to that. And I feel it as a business owner as well. I'm, I'm planning for my own trip to Italy in August, and I've had an internal dialogue debate saying, well, I'm responsible for a lot of things within our company, but I'm also responsible for representing the brand that we're promoting. Like I, I am a big supporter of disconnecting. So if I don't do that, that makes me a hypocrite. So there are layers of sort of interesting psychology around people's guilt if they say, okay, I'm going to go offline for three days in a row. No one's going to be able to reach me. So we try to basically take from these companies, what do you want us to communicate to your employees using our platform, using our knowledge of how often they're taking time off or not taking time off. 
And I think companies generally are seeing that because burnout's a problem, they need people to disconnect. It's just a matter of figuring out when is the best time to encourage them to do that. So I don't think it's a problem that gets solved overnight, but I do see people paying attention to the problem, which means hopefully we'll start moving in that right direction. Erica, thanks so much for the time, and thank you for being an example of a job that wouldn't have existed 10, 15 years ago, but certainly exists now. No worries at all. Well, thank you for chatting with me about it. Awareness helps us every day with this very new concept. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye, and have a great trip to Italy. Erica Pearson joining us, co-founder and CEO of Vacation Fund. So there's that example. If you pitched this 10 or 15 years ago and said, you know what we need? We need somebody who is going to help companies set up funds whereby their employees can pay into it based on their paychecks and we get some matching and they get to take a vacation out of it. Or we need a program or a company that's going to manage the, hey, we're going to put $5,000 away and if an employee doesn't use it, it disappears and that really encourages them to take their vacation. Because depending on what company you work for, you will get that email saying, Here's how many vacation days you have owing. Make sure you take them by this day. And companies, let's face it, do not want to be left at the end of a relationship with an employee, whether it is by retirement, whether it is by changing jobs, whatever it is. They don't want to be left with a big payout because that hurts their own bottom line, a big payout to that employee based on how many vacation days they still have left over. So all of a sudden, this has become a thing. And, as Erica pointed out, burnout is now something that is, you can't, you can't quantify it, but you know it's there. And you know that your employee's productivity is going to go up if they have that work-life balance. So you can hammer on somebody and hammer on somebody. Eventually, they're just going to be coming and going through the motions because they're not going to have anything left. The more you work, the less time you have off, the less creativity you offer. And there aren't too many jobs anymore that don't require creativity. So you need to have that balance. So this is incentive to create that balance. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Erica. We will take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Now, you do have to be careful if you're going to take a vacation, what exactly you're doing on it and where exactly you are going. Remember Gilligan's Island, right? That wasn't even a vacation. That was just a three-hour tour turned into years and years of being stuck on a pretend island. But there's a story from this past week out of Sarasota, Florida. You can't make this stuff up. But again, be very careful what you choose to do. On June the 2nd, you had five passengers who jumped on a boat in Sarasota, Florida, Boat was called Double Marker. It was a charter boat. They were going touring around in the Gulf. Should have been a beautiful tour. So the five passengers get on, and it's not one family. It's five different people. And they are there with a Captain Mark Bailey and his first mate. This sounds like Gilligan and the Skipper. Well, the captain was drinking when people got on the boat, and they didn't realize how intoxicated he was until they were about 60 miles out into the Gulf. And one of the passengers said to his son, hey, uh, there's a plastic bucket of beer. It's offered, and now we're far enough out or whatever it is. 
can you run up and grab me a beer? And so his son runs up the stairs to where the captain is, and he grabs a beer out of the bucket, and the captain says, hey, put that back. And the son thinks, well, he's just kidding, he's kind of, <laughs> and starts to walk away. The captain gets up out of his seat, grabs him by the collar, and ends up ripping his chain and breaking his chain and forced him to put the beer back. And so that brought dad upstairs saying, hey, you know, what just happened here? And the captain turned around and according to the passenger said, quote, I have a gun and if I want to, I will put a bullet in each of your heads and leave you out here. Although it probably came out like, I have a gun and if I will. So they say at this point, they got really concerned. Everybody kind of went away from the captain, just kind of hoped the tour would end. And then the boat started turning kind of in big circles. They realized they weren't going anywhere. They were just going round and round and round. So the passengers tried to get cell service. And being 60 miles out into the Gulf of Mexico, not easy. Eventually, one did get cell service in one of the round and round as they went and ended up contacting the Coast Guard. Coast Guard came and arrested this guy at gunpoint in the middle of the sea. The captain had actually taken his gun and had fired six or seven bullets in the air at one point. This would be the freakiest boat tour since Gilligan's Island. The captain has been arrested and charged with boating under the influence and, of course, resisting a law enforcement officer. There are other crimes being investigated by the Coast Guard. Beware on your vacation. We'll let you know what's on the way after the news, which comes up next in just a moment. As London Live continues on a Friday, this is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. What should be the rules when it comes to advertising to kids? When it comes to cigarettes, you can't do it. We have really tight rules, actually, on smoking, which makes me wonder why we still have so many young smokers. Topic for another day, not today, should be this. If you are under, let's pick an age, 30, and you smoke, you should have your OHIP benefits cut. I really believe that. If you are under the age of 30, there's been enough warning for you. Forget that. You get sick, that's on you. You shouldn't have started smoking when you were 16 years old, based on what we know. Well, what about the food industry? What should the food industry be able to market to kids? Should it be all the cartoon characters on sugary cereals? Should that be a thing? There is some legislation that could go away completely that would deal with this and really ask some interesting questions. After news, we're going to talk about some of those questions. We're also going to talk about something brand new coming up this weekend on 980 CFPL. And we'll also look at how the Toronto Raptors are probably going to lead a global explosion. At least in my mind, they're going to. A global explosion in North American sports. And I'll tell you why. All of that still ahead on a Friday on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Less than an hour away from kickoff in the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Canada plays their first match on Monday. Shalina Zadorsky, Jesse Fleming, a part of Canada's side once again, get into this tournament because here's the thing. The Raptors and the Stanley Cup final are going to end 
in the next week. Game 7 for the Raptors would be next Thursday if there was one. And I think a Game 7, if it gets that far for the Blues and the Bruins, is Wednesday. But beyond that, things get a little quieter. You've got the Blue Jays. We've got the Jays and the Arizona Diamondbacks starting tonight at 7 o'clock. They open a weekend series. But the sports world does get a little quieter. CFL is about to start their season. You can still have that same feel with the excitement that comes from a World Cup. Now, it's earlier in the day. Canada will play Cameroon 3 p.m. on Monday. Today, it's France, the host nation, and Korea, and that gets underway again in less than an hour from now. We'll talk more about some of the things to look for at the Women's World Cup of Soccer in just a little bit, but we need to talk about a bill that may wind up dying on the vine. You may not know much about it. It is Bill S-228. Bill S-228. Doesn't even really have a ring to it. But it is something that involves marketing toward children. And that marketing is something that really does need to be addressed in the same way that smoking was addressed and marketing of smoking toward certain age groups and really anybody has been addressed. This, a very similar thing. So why don't we break this down with a little bit of help. Manuel Arango is the Heart and Stroke Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Engagement with the Heart and Stroke Foundation. And we're lucky enough to have him with us right now. Manuel, how are things as we get to the end of a week? Uh, Working hard, working hard to see if we can get this bill that restricts marketing of foods and beverages to kids. Uh, so uh, we, we have one month left before the before the bill will die. So we are very, very hopeful that senators uh, will listen to our plea and, and really focus on the health of kids and uh, pass the bill before the end of June. You would think that would be so easy because you just mentioned a group of words, the health of kids. That seems to be a no-brainer. Maybe let's go back even to look at what this bill is designed to do, even before we go into what the fallout could be. What is it designed to do? So this bill is designed to restrict uh, the marketing of those foods and beverages that are marketed to kids, and in particular, foods and beverages that are high in sugar, salt, saturated fat. So we're talking pop, uh, you know, uh, salty potato chips, etc. Um, this bill does not restrict the access to, uh, of, of any type of food uh, to people. People are free to buy whatever they want. Parents can buy whatever they want for their kids. Uh, it does not increase the price of products. It has nothing to do with that. It only restricts marketing of those products to kids. So if a, if a product is not marketed to kids, if for an example, bread products, there's only two out of 533 bread products that are marketed to kids. So those those products are virtually left unimpacted. as has nothing to do with that, this bill. Only marketing, only advertising. When we look at why that is such a key component of this, we think about how much advertising we're bombarded by. You might think, well, come on, everybody's desensitized to that. Uh, Advertising really does work. That's been proven. So when you're advertising to kids, what do you feel the the danger is? Well, correct. So the reality is that, you know, we have research that says exactly what you said. 
which is that marketing to kids of foods and beverages influences their preferences, their beliefs, and it leads to them pestering their parents to buy those, uh, those, those food products. And this is a problem because 90% of the food and beverage products that are marketed to kids are, are for foods that are high in saturated fat, salt, and sugar. So it's, it's not healthy food we're talking about here. Right? It's, it's, it's unhealthy. And then, and then on top of that, like what we're concerned about is that over the last 40, 50 years, we've had a doubling in the amount of calories that we consume from ultra-processed foods in Canada. And in particular, right now amongst kids, 9 to 13 years of age, um, 60% of their calories come from really highly processed foods. So, and then they're bombarded with, with these food and beverage ads, 25 million just on their top 10 favorite websites. That's just online. It doesn't even include TV. So, um, so this marketing, it has an impact. That's why the food and beverage industry spends over a billion annually in Canada to market these foods and beverages to kids because they know it works. And unfortunately, if it was salads that they were marketing and legumes and uh, all kinds of vegetables, etc., that would be a good thing. Unfortunately, that's not what they market. It's, it's highly processed foods that they market, and that affects kids' health. We're talking about Bill S-228. This is something that is not new. This is not new legislation that has been dreamed up. This actually was created and originated in the Senate about three years ago. We had a conservative senator, Nancy Green Rain, and she basically took a Senate report, Obesity in Canada, looked at it, and then elected MPs last September, approved this, and then it went to the Senate, and they were waiting on second approval. Now, well, tick, 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 tick. It's been almost a 1,000 days since the bill was first introduced in the Senate, and that's why people are starting to scratch their heads a little bit. We're looking at the impact that it actually could have with Manny Arango, the Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Engagement with the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Manny, when we talk about the things, you mentioned them, legumes, fruits, things like that, good things. If we if we could market those the same way, if you could walk into a grocery store and see a cuddly cartoon character standing over a whole bunch of apples, uh, do you think that would have uh, an effect on kids? Or if they picked up their Instagram and there was that promoted ad and it was for Banana Man and all of the adventures that he had, is that something that, that we need to go or is that kind of joining the dark side? Well, uh, the reality is if you did have that type of marketing, kids would eat more apples and the healthy food. There are others that argue, you know, that, that we shouldn't do any marketing whatsoever to kids. Uh, that's another discussion for another day. But the reality is that the, our problem that we're faced with is that 90% of the food and beverages that are marketed to kids are for foods that are not good for kids. And that's where all the investments and the advertising dollars come from the industry so that's the problem we've got to grapple with right now is what do we do with those foods that are high in salt, saturated fat, and sugar, and they're marketed to kids. Um, that's, that's really the pressing problem, and that's what this bill attempts to address. And you're absolutely right. It's been a 1,000 days since this has been in the Senate. Many countries have done this, Sweden, Norway, Brazil, the United Kingdom, Chile, Uruguay, and, and, uh, and Quebec as well. Actually, the province of Quebec is banned all marketing to kids. 
So we need this for the rest of the country. We know that it can have an impact um, in terms of uh, food preferences. So, you know, we got to get around to doing this. It's been three years. Um, unfortunately, there are some senators that have been listening to the uh, arguments of the food and beverage industry, and, and that's really unfortunate because, you know, the interests of the food and beverage industry are being put ahead of the health of our kids, and we think that's unacceptable. We're talking with Manuel Arango, Director of Policy Advocacy and Engagement with the Heart and Stroke Foundation. And we talked about tick, 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 tick. We just saw yesterday the Ontario legislature deciding, hey, summer vacation for a long, long time. We know that federally that's going to happen in the House of Commons. What do you think? If if we don't get any action on this, could something like this go away? That is the problem. That's what our concern is. That is, and we've got roughly until the end of June before the Senate rises. Then we have a federal election. So that means this bill is going to die. And what I often tell people is that it's a good possibility, because just from the way the parliamentary process works, that it could be another 25 or 30 years before we ever get a chance to have like a bill like this before us. Um, so, so that's really unfortunate. And the other unfortunate part is that the reality is that there is enough support in the Senate to pass this bill. There are enough supportive vote, uh, senators. The problem is that a vote is being blocked and is not being allowed to happen uh, by a, a number of senators that are, you know, I guess have been listening to the food and beverage industry too much, and they're, they're doing what's called filibustering, just uh, uh, creating all these other motions to prevent the bill from being um, voted on. So that's all we are asking for is just just if you're opposed to it, that's fine. Vote against it. But allow for the vote to happen. Allow for democracy to move forward. Um, We have enough support to pass the bill. Let people be democratic and, and cast their votes. Manny, before we let you go, if we look at the impact that we have right now, and we know this is taking place, with the saturated fats that kids are ingesting, with the high sugar content foods that they are ingesting, all of that advertising, focusing in on things like that. What are the long-term effects that kids would run into? Well, if they're consuming highly, uh, you know, foods that are high in those nutrients that you just mentioned, um, there's all kinds of long-term outcomes. There is high blood pressure. There's heart disease. There's stroke. There's certain types of cancer that it can occur. Another big concern is the rising rates of type 2 diabetes. We're seeing that more and more because of the consumption of highly processed foods and sugary drinks. And then as well, childhood obesity is, is something that it can occur. And what we do know is that there's certain habits that we develop when we're younger they track into adulthood. If we're not active when you're younger, that can track into adulthood. If we're, we have really bad eating habits when we're younger, that can track into adulthood. And so can um, obesity as well. If we're overweight and obese when we're really young, that can track into adulthood. So, so it's important to nip these things in the bud when we're young. And this bill that would restrict the marketing of these types of foods and beverages to kids would really help with that. Will impact kids, and then it will lead to healthy adults later on as well. And yet, as you've talked about, this bill is on its last legs. Is is there anything that you've heard that could help to push this through? Can we do anything? 
Yes. So this is, you know, we're at the 11th hour. We have a few weeks left. Um, if you, if your listeners go to the Stop Marketing the Kids Coalition website, there's a, a link they can click there uh, that will send a letter to senators um, asking them to pass the bill. And as well, if they're familiar, if they know who the senator is who represents their area or their province, it would be good if you if they could send a personalized letter to them or even call your senator that represents your area as well. Um, you can find that all on the parliamentary website. So any support from your listeners would be extremely helpful, and this is about the health of kids. That's what this is all about. And you mentioned that website. Run that by us one more time, and I'll write it down. It's the Stop Marketing to Kids Coalition website website. Okay, excellent. I will tweet that out. And Manny, we really appreciate your insight on this. Thank you for helping to understand us to understand what is happening. It was great to talk to you today. Thank you very much. Manuel Arangel, Heart and Stroke Foundation's Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Engagement on marketing to kids. And you might think, but that's innocent. You know, and you've got a product, you should be able to market it to who it's for. Okay. Winston Cup Series. Do we hear that anymore? The Winston Cup used to be the NASCAR championship. No. When you pick up a magazine, you flip through and you find Joe Camel. Remember Joe Camel? No, you don't. They have really cracked down on advertising when it comes to smoking. And smoking still exists. Smoking is still legal. Those who do it might say, eh, it's not as... As legal as it used to be. Yeah, okay, well, it's not. But, again, we've got to have a conversation. Maybe we'll have this next week. I'd love to have a conversation on whether you believe it would be unfair to pull OHIP from people who are under the age of 30 and smoke right now. It's harsh, but I don't think it's unfair. What are you doing? Why are you smoking? You were told. This is basically like saying... That burner on the stove is hot. Don't touch it. Mm, ow! Why did you touch it? Well, I don't know. I wanted to see whether it was hot. It's the same kind of thing. And I don't believe this is the society police or the nanny state or whatever. You've got to look at what the outcome is. And right now, advertising does work. It really does. And if you're allowed to throw Joe Camel in there looking all cool in his Joe Camel outfit, selling you camels, then what about being able to go, tee-hee-hee, come and buy this, and be marketing a breakfast cereal? And in the end, you are leading to obesity, and you are leading to type 2 diabetes, and you are leading to enormous health costs down the line, incurred by everybody. I don't know what our healthcare system is going to look like in many, many, many years from now, but this is the concern. And I don't think it's nanny state type stuff. We have a lot of things in this world where you have to help people from themselves. And you can say, well, I deserve to be able to do whatever it is I want. Okay, go ahead. But when it comes to you having type 2 diabetes brought on by poor eating habits and no exercise later on, why should we help you then? You know, you had your fun back in the day when you were able to eat all the stuff you chose to eat, when you were able to not exercise because you didn't want to. 
So now all of a sudden we have to help you when you wouldn't help yourself earlier? I have trouble understanding that. I really do. We have to get to a point where you have to accept consequences for your actions. If you want to go out and eat whatever you want and not exercise, fine. But there will be consequences. Why should you get away with not having to accept that? It's the old ant and the grasshopper. Wasn't it the ant that worked very hard and got themselves ready for winter and the grasshopper didn't? And then when winter comes, the grasshopper's kind of screwed because he has no food? That's an old fable. But it's saying the same thing. We'll talk about it next week. If you would like to email, you can do that anytime. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at stubs980. We will take a break up next. A couple quick words on things to watch for as the Women's World Cup of Soccer begins. And two of those people are from right around here. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. About, I would say, with some of the pre-ceremonies that will take place, probably about 45 minutes away from the kickoff of the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Of course, Canada well represented by a couple of people who call London home. Shalina Zdorsky, who was born in Kitchener and did a lot of her soccer playing growing up in London, Ontario. And Jesse Fleming as well. Jesse is somebody who is just that unbelievable athlete. If you ever had a chance to see Jesse Fleming run track, I think you have to go all the way back to grade nine before she kind of focused in on soccer full time. But I think she still holds the record in the 1500 and the 3000, at least at Wassa, maybe even further than Wassa. And she was the person who probably lapped two or three people or people two or three times over the course of a race. She was so far out in front of everybody. Now she's a part of Canada's national women's soccer team, as is Shalina Zdorsky. They will play on Monday against Cameroon at 3 p.m. One of the things to watch for in all of this, anytime you get a chance to talk with Shalina and Jesse, it doesn't take very long. And they start saying, sink, sink. Sink. You hear it in them. And it's the respect that they have for their teammate, Christine Sinclair, who, again, is leading Canada into this Women's World Cup. And this is a very interesting World Cup for Christine Sinclair because she's three goals internationally behind Abby Wambach of the United States for most goals ever scored by a female soccer player anywhere in the world. And she has a chance to, who knows, depending on how far Canada goes and how things go for Canada, she has a chance to equal or even pass Abby Wambach at this World Cup. And so we're going to follow that for you. Certainly we'll follow the progress of Canada. But in about five minutes from now, maybe six and a half minutes from right now, we are going to speak with someone who coached Shalina Zdorsky and who coached against Jesse Fleming in soccer, one of those legendary coaches from this area, Martin Painter, is going to join us on London Live to help us preview the Women's World Cup. And then we'll talk about something brand new this weekend on 980 CFPL. News is on the way next. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We need to look around at London and realize there's something in the water. No, it's not the fluoride, whatever else. It's not that. There's something in the water. You look at 
the combination on the St. Louis Blues right now, poised to win the Stanley Cup. You look at soccer players that are being produced in this area, especially for the women's game. Kyla Novak, she's on her way. You look at Jade Kovacevic and the success she has had playing professionally now in Europe. And then you look at the Women's World Cup and you find Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zadorsky. And their training came right here. And maybe that's what it comes down to. You know what? It's not in the water. It is in the training. And it is in the skill level that exists in this area. Two members of Canada's side for the Women's World Cup of Soccer, which kicks off now in far less than an hour in France, have been trained here in London. And joining us is someone who has coached against one of them and coached the other. Please welcome one of London's finest soccer coaches, Martin Painter. Martin, how are things? Very good, Mike. Very good. Excited about the World Cup. No doubt. Now, what do you think it is in the training in this area that really does produce so many great players? This seems to be a disproportionate number. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think London's got a great soccer background, and I think there's been a lot of development maybe ahead of some other places, especially on the women's side. So, you know, I think it's a testament to what's gone on in London over the, the last 30 years, and, and, and a lot of the people have been involved. And, you know, so I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a multitude of, of factors, but I think key thing is we were ahead of the curve and we got some key people involved, and level of coaching has been good, level of organization has been good, and, and you can see that now in terms of individuals, and you can also see that in some of the, the programs that have been built. Well, it is fantastic. You coached Shalina Zadorsky. You've coached against Jesse Fleming, so you know both of them well. What is it like to sit down and watch them in an international match? Yeah, it's exciting, and it's, um, you know, to, to see players that you're familiar with and, and that you've watched since they were young and, and to see them at the highest stage, uh, it's exciting. It's, you know, it, it gives you an extra reason to root for Canada, and, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just, I'd say exciting is the word that sums up the best. At the Rio Olympics, there they were beating host Brazil in a bronze medal match, winning bronze, which just shows the level that Canada is at in women's soccer. And it's something that Jake Jeffrey was mentioning earlier today in the newsroom, the idea that you look at, at the women's side and the men's side, the women's side is so competitive. What do you think allows for that i think canada again in, in in terms of women's sports in general i think culturally maybe we were ahead of some other places in the world um in getting females and women involved in sports and i think you know there's been a lot of good initiatives from from sport canada and all the way down into the individual sports to do that so you can see that in soccer you can see that in hockey and you can probably see that in some other sports so i think you know it's having that inclusive kind of culture from, from an early stage has probably been the key rule, key factor that gave us a head start. Um, but you'll see now that a lot of countries are, are starting to catch up and the, the competition is pretty fierce. We're talking with Martin Painter, longtime London soccer coach. Let's start with Shalina Zadorsky, someone who you coached. Tell us a little bit about her as a player. Yeah, Shalina, I mean, there's certain qualities that stand out. She's, she's athletic, she's strong, she's two-footed, uh, she's very versatile. Um, but the thing that stands out the most to me about Shalina would be her character. Um, incredible work ethic, uh, incredible team teammate. You know, you know, uh, even when she's one of the most talented and best players, she has she doesn't bring any ego or 
you know, she just works hard. She's, she's, and she's very reflective and she's, you know, she's got to where she's got, I would say there's talent for sure, but there's, there's a lot of work that's gone into that and, and dedication. She is a defender, typically. When you look at, at that particular position in soccer, it can be difficult to notice the people who are very good. As we watch Canada play, what constitutes, wow, Shalina just did that? Yeah, I think, again, Shalina actually grew up as a striker, um, as an attacking player. And, and as, as she went into university, she, uh, she adjusted. And as she went into national youth teams, they adjusted her. And I think that, that's not uncommon. But um, what, what stands out, again, would be her ability to read the game. Um, if you just watch her positioning and her anticipation, the way she can pick up movement of attacking players, uh, the way she works within the unit, the defensive unit, her spacing, uh, you know, her ability to step up when needed and, and keep shape at other times, uh, and then obviously her quality on the ball. So you see her first touch, her ability to play forward, to break lines when, when she can, and again, she's got that technical ability and, and vision, so I think she's a very well-rounded, all, all-around player. We are talking with Martin Painter. Let's move to Jesse Fleming. You coached against Jesse Fleming. Is that one of those matches, even when you have a, a young age, you think, okay, we, we've got a player we've got a game plan for? Yeah, well, I mean, Jesse was, you know, from a very young age, from the first time anybody saw her, I think she stood out. Uh, incredible soccer brain, um, incredible, like, athleticism, moves really well, and she's just got some vision and some instincts that are, are, are very, very rare, and that's why she's, you know, one of the best players in the world. So, you know, that was obvious. I mean, at the youth level, I don't know if we necessarily game planned against her, but we were certainly aware of her. Um, and it was an extra challenge for whoever was playing against them. And, you know, she's a, she's a phenom. To see her rise up the ranks as young as she did, what is that like? Yeah, it's, it's you know, once in a while you see a generational player like Jesse, and then the question is how is she going to develop um, as she grows older? Because, Obviously, there's, there can be physical challenges. There can be psychological, emotional challenges. And, you know, she rose to the occasion every step of the way. And I think that just speaks to her character and her background and, and her family. She's a very well-grounded person. Again, for a person with her level of ability, there's not a single person that you could find that would have a negative thing to say about her as a teammate. And I think it's those qualities that kind of transcend the soccer field that have, you know, and, and both with Jesse and Shalina that have allowed them to be, become as successful as they have. They are, of course, the two local connections here, and you talk about their character and, and where they come from and how well-grounded they are, and this team, Canada, just seems to be filled with people like that. Jesse and Shalina both seem to have such respect for Christine Sinclair and, and what she has done for their sport. Being three goals away from Abby Wambach, how much of that should be a story during the World Cup? Oh, I, think, I think it should be a massive story, I think. What Christine Sinclair has done uh, in soccer and, and across any sport, she I means she's she's one of the best female soccer players of all time, or one of the best soccer players of all time, uh, based on what she's accomplished. And she's done it for such a long period of time, and she's done it in such a humble, hardworking way. And in like the influence she's had on younger players, you know, is is amazing. So you know, I think she's one of the best athletes of our of our generation, and you know, I think she should be celebrated, you know, more than she is because I think she is. She's incredible to watch, and it's also incredible to look, look at her career and see what she's accomplished individually and with a group. Well, Women's World Cup about to kick off today, and Canada will play Cameroon on Monday afternoon. Martin, I know you'll be watching it intently. Enjoy all of the matches, and thanks for the time today. Thank you very much, Mike. That's Martin Painter, one of the top soccer coaches in this area.
France and Korea today, Canada and Cameroon on Monday. Canada will also play New Zealand and the Netherlands in their group. But there are a lot of people saying Canada has what it takes to get out of that group. And we'll see what happens. We will take a quick break. We'll let you know about something brand new. Jake Jeffrey has been hanging around. It's been a long day for him. He'll join us in studio next as we talk about something brand new this weekend on 980 CFPL. Something brand new happening this weekend on 980 CFPL, and here to help us describe exactly what that is, is Jake Jeffrey. Jake, thanks for hanging around. It's been a long day. How did this past week go? It's all right. Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff. One of those weeks, it seemed like it was three different weeks rolled into one, but we made it through. (laughs) And now, maybe, just maybe, summer gets started. One thing that's come to an end for at least a little while is... OHL hockey. Jake, I'm looking at the schedule this weekend in the Ontario Hockey League because Jake and I do Around the OHL, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. There isn't a lot to talk about right now. Jake, I don't see a game. There isn't a single game. There is nothing going on around the OHL. Hmm. They're taking a bit of a break. Of course, the NHL entry draft will bring OHL players back into the fold in just a couple of weeks. But we don't want to go away. Typically, you've been able to hear the radio version of Around the OHL every Sunday at noon. And as much as we don't have any OHL to talk about, Jake, this Sunday, we've got to talk about something. We will, and I think we're going to do a bit of a shift, so we're going to focus not around the OHL or junior hockey specifically, but we're going to focus on some of the the great athletes and the great local sports going on in the London area. There's so much going on. I mean, we are blessed. There's so many people who have gone on and played pro, gone on and played the highest level of international competition, and they are right here in our backyard, and not a lot of people know about it, so we're trying to tell those stories a little bit. We'll tell the stories of people like Alicia Newman and Damian Warner, who really have hit the international yeah. stage. Shalina Zadorsky, Jesse Fleming getting set for the World Cup in France. Canada will play Cameroon on Monday. But we also want to dig even deeper. And sometimes, Jake, this is where you and I need a little bit of help. We do. I mean, we know a lot of, I feel like we know a decent amount of things. But one thing I assure you that I do not know is what you're up to this weekend and what your kids (laughs) minor team is up to this weekend. So let us know. It's one of those things that don't leave it to chance for oh maybe they'll see that when they're out in their travels let us know if there's a big event coming up it's not we're not intentionally not talking about it. it's likely because we don't know about it so help us know about it and then that i think is going to go a long way is i mean one of my favorite parts about playing minor hockey was sometimes you get a little bit of recognition or you, you hear your name on the radio and stuff like that and it's exciting it's growing the game i think it's what makes minor sports so awesome is it's community members usually volunteering their time and there's that level of passion and enthusiasm really just to put a game on for kids. And I, I just love that passion and enthusiasm. It makes me sort of excited for local sports, and, and we want to share your stories. But we absolutely want to know about it. It doesn't matter yeah. the sport. This is not a soccer show. This is not a basketball show, although we'll talk some soccer and basketball yeah. this weekend with what is happening. But you name it. If you feel that it is a story, email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can email Jake at Jake at 980cfpl.ca. We try and keep our emails fairly simple. Exactly. Anything more complicated than that, I might forget. Yeah. I have a tough enough time remembering my password. I struggle enough. I usually yeah. spell my name M-I-N-E. Fortunately, yeah. uh, it corrects. And your offense, that, that's as far as your name, that was mine, right? So, yeah, it's yeah, close. Name. Um, I mean, and, <laughs> Mike, I get a lot of people said, that, you know, you're from London. First of all, you say which London we're from. And then when you say London, oh, yeah, it's London Knights, right? Because many people think London Knights, so that's the, and they're not wrong. That's the main 
you know, that's the, the, the main dance in town, when, especially when it comes to wintertime, is a lot of nights. But we know there is so much more to athletics and sports in the city of London. You look at, obviously, summertime, a lot of majors. They got some games coming up this weekend, three-game weekend for them. Um, Home to Guelph tonight, exactly. 735. And then FC London, they also are very, very busy during the summer months as well. Men you, and women both playing this weekend. You got it as well. So, I mean, you, you look, there's a long list. I mean, we're also blessed to not only have a Western University here, at Fancher College, both of those athletic programs are some of the best in the country. Well, look at Fanshawe's year this year. They've never won more championships. And we even talked about this during the year, the idea that they are now sponsored by Under Armour and how big a drawing card Mm -hmm. that is. There are a lot of those little stories in and under why there is success. And it's been a great drawing card for athletes. Their recruiting classes have been dynamite. Western's recruiting classes are always dynamite. But you're right. There are so many stories and it's difficult to cover everything. It's funny. It's because one of those things I don't think people ever grow out of and I think of back maybe it was at a Blue Jays game when I was younger and there was my dad in line sign up for one of those free MasterCards and he would he would cut up once he received it in the mail but he got a free, he got a free Blue Jays t-shirt so there I was leaving the Blue Jays game with the free MasterCard Blue Jays t-shirt and it was all because you get a little free swag so it's mm-hmm. something you never grow out of whether you're on an athletics team and you get a free Under Armour Fanshawe Falcon sh- shirt or whatnot for your for your play or you get a free Jersey for signing up for a MasterCard. Either or, free stuff is awesome. I still have a free NHL t-shirt I think I got in the 90s from doing just that. Yeah, exactly. Don't have the card. Nope. Still have the t-shirt. So that's something that's a good lesson, I think, is, is swag is always welcome regardless of your age. Absolutely. So email anything that you feel is noteworthy for Sunday sports to Mike at 980cfpl.ca or Jake at 980cfpl.ca. This weekend, we will talk some Raptors. We'll talk some NHL for sure, but we will focus in on London majors. We will focus in on that London content for Team Canada at the World Cup of Soccer. Shalina Zadorsky and Jesse Fleming. And hey, big shout out to Oliver Griffiths, who played last week at the CanadaFootballChat.com prospect game. He's a kicker, member of the Central Golden Ghosts, and also to Elias Himaris, who has made Canada's under-17 soccer team. So that right there is just 30 seconds, and we've jammed in already so many different accomplishments from players, and we can't wait to talk about more coming up this weekend. Jake, thanks. You have a great weekend. Get some sunshine. <laughs> I will. You too. Go Raps, go. Jake Jeffrey, Raptors coming up tonight. Viewing party at... Dundasic Park. I didn't make that up. That was sent in earlier on the show to Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Speaking of the Raptors, to close out the show, I believe the Raptors are going to lead to a global explosion in North American sports, something we've never seen before. This is just my put-on-your-tinfoil-hat kind of theory. I'll give it to you next. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. To close out the show, I have a theory on what this Toronto Raptors run is going to do. And if you wanted to give a name to it, it would be the Saskatchewan Rough Riders effect. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but hear me out. In Saskatchewan, if you've ever been there, no matter what place you go to, whether it's Weyburn, whether it's Saskatoon, whether it's Prince Albert, the Battlefords, Regina, what do you find? Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans, they will drive from wherever they live. Ask Richard. He will tell you. They will drive from wherever they live all the way to Regina anytime the Riders play to watch games. There are people who travel six hours every single time the Riders play. It is their team. 
And it's kind of a rarity. BC doesn't embrace the Lions in the same way, even though they have a provincial name. Be interesting to see what the Maritimes do with the new team. But you have Saskatchewan, who absolutely embraces this team. With the Toronto Raptors doing what they're doing right now, even though they have been Canada's basketball team, Canada's NBA team, since the Vancouver Grizzlies moved to Memphis, this is different. The world is set for something very different right now. The United States is watching what is happening, and that's the key in all of this, because very rarely does news extend beyond the 49th parallel. You watch news in the U.S., you even watch weather in the U.S., what does the map look like? Looks like there isn't a Canada. You know the line of Homer Simpson, well, that's just Canada. Who pays attention to what they're doing way down there? He didn't even know where it was. And some Americans have no idea what Canada even is, where it is. It doesn't show up. So now you've got all of this attention on a nation being behind one team. And this seems to be mind-blowing to Americans. And it is mind-blowing to North American pro sports leagues who operate out of the United States. And that's all of them. And I really believe that what we're going to see is meetings among those leagues that say, you know, we've been sending teams to either exhibition games. The Raiders are going to play an exhibition game in the NFL in Winnipeg. You've got games that go even beyond exhibition games and go to London, England on a regular basis. Jacksonville Jaguars seem to play there every year. But it's not the same. It's not the same as having your own team. And if you look at the sponsorship opportunities, the merchandise sale opportunities, you have to expect that they're looking and saying, we could get all of the national sponsors. All of them would be lining up. That's going to be happening for the Raptors. They already have national sponsors. Wait until their renewals. It'd be mind-blowing. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to do. But they could look and say, well, if we put a team in Mexico City, all of a sudden we've got all of Mexico behind them. That's Mexico's team. That's England's team. And the NBA has the ability to do it because there aren't rival leagues. I think this is the, the starting point for all of this. It's something we'll explore this weekend on Sunday Sports as we talk about a number of other things. We are finished talking on London Live for today. Thanks to Andrew Graham for all of his help. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. We've got news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy basketball and baseball. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.